0: listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko.
1: Hi Kyla, I'm at the other location of Acumen Law.
0: I feel like you've been there more than you've been here lately.
1: Oh, are you kidding? This is the first time I've been here all week. I only got here at 1.30 today. Um, but there is a lot that I need to get down here. Just that you haven't been around. You've been rushing around going to court and rushing around and dealing with your dog and rushing around um, okay. going to court, I guess.
0: You haven't uh, been driving me around like you normally do. I don't know what's going on. I no,
1: I haven't ever- I haven't had time to drive you around, but I am going to hire you a driver. It's decided. I've written the ad. I haven't published it yet, but it is decided. We are going to hire a driver for Kyle Lee.
0: You would like to be my driver. Send in a resume.
1: I'd, lo- I'd love to be your driver personally, but I just don't have the time.
0: No, I was talking to our
1: listeners. I know. I- I'm anyway, sure. Anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> you we
0: Yes, here we are. So you have a big announcement to make.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't think we would lead off with that necessarily, but um, you and I have talked about this over the years and I've talked about it with many police officers over the years that they have a problem when they arrive on the scene of, um, of accidents with heavy vehicles. So imagine you're a police officer. You show up there. Uh, there's been a big truck accident on Highway 1. Uh, and what do you have to deal with? You've got to deal with a bunch of people who are potentially injured. You've got a uh, stuff strewn all over the road. You're, you're part of your obligation is to try and piece together what happened. Maybe, maybe you don't have to. Um, and then you've got to deal with the drivers and often by the time you get to the driver, you know, the driver might be dealing with an ambulance crew, the driver might be dealing with other things that are necessary for them to do there at the roadside. But by the time you get to deal with them, they've, uh, smoked five cigarettes, two, two packs of gum. And if you're a police officer who is concerned that maybe they've been drinking, and if you don't have, can't form a, a reasonable suspicion that they've got alcohol in their body, there's nothing you can do. You cannot make a lawful approved screening device demand in those circumstances, unless you can form a reasonable suspicion that they've got alcohol in their body. And so, you know, the, the, the sense is that a number of truck drivers are, are getting away with out being scrutinized for impaired driving in these circumstances and similar things with a school bus, right? If a school bus accident, you don't know, you know, I've known school bus drivers who were heavy drinkers. have a school bus accident, the school bus driver is dealing with all these other things and potentially sitting in an ambulance for a while. By the time the police officer gets to deal with them. You know, they, they, there may be no opportunity to assess them to determine whether or not you can form a reasonable suspicion of alcohol in the body, and this is, in my mind, a failure of the criminal code. Now, I know what you're saying to yourself, there, Kyla. You're saying if you were to just start ASDing everybody an hour after an accident, that wouldn't be uh, wouldn't pass constitutional scrutiny because of the 10B violation because it would be not even a reasonable search because there's not a reason behind it, uh, and uh, that it wouldn't be admissible evidence. And you'd be right in most circumstances, but when you think about the the situation of trucks, heavy vehicles like class four and heavier vehicles on the road, um, this is a highly regulated activity. It's already highly regulated. Uh, there is increased scrutiny that already exists because... These are heavy vehicles that pose a huge threat to the public. If they're not being operated lawfully and safely and correctly with sober drivers, uh, and, uh, on top of that, um, it's a circumstance where people are working while they're operating those vehicles. So it struck me that you could create a provision and a motor, a uh, criminal code provision similar to what we have with mandatory demands, but to permit the police to conduct a approved screening device test after a collision uh, of any heavy vehicle driver, so class 4 and up. And so I wrote to the Justice Minister, you and I have talked about this before.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this before. I don't know that you've totally convinced me, though. I don't know that I'm totally...
1: Well, a lot of people aren't convinced about the mandatory demand provisions, and I'm not. Uh, I don't like the mandatory demand provisions, but I, you know, I think a lot of people could get on board with testing truck drivers or school bus drivers or bus drivers.
0: But why not then just require all of uh, the drivers of these vehicles to have interlocks installed in their vehicles as like a Transport Canada requirement?
1: Well, I think that's coming. But right now, this is investigating after an accident, right? And it's something that they could do right now.
0: Are you not worried about? I'm playing devil's advocate here. No, it, like I, it's see gone. That, I see, I see your point. But are you not worried about the sort of the creep of overreach that we start to justify it in this case, and then we start to justify it in the next case, and we start to justify more invasive searches? Maybe we we require uh, all drivers of class four heavy vehicles to provide blood samples to make sure they don't have any drugs in their system. Maybe we require them to undergo a medical evaluation after an accident to make sure the accident wasn't caused by fatigue or uh, something like that. Like, where is the where is the line if you start down this pathway?
1: You, you know what our court would say in that circumstance, and I know you're posing this as devil's advocate, but the court will always say when they uphold these things is that our courts know where to draw the line. And this is something that's permissible. And if it went you know further, it might not be. But our courts know where to draw the line.
0: That's what they said. about suspicion based ASD testing. And then we got mandatory testing.
1: That's true. That's true. And it was creep. And uh, mandatory testing came along and it's got its huge problems as far as I'm concerned. Uh, And I don't like it. I don't agree with it. Uh, I don't think it's necessary. I, you know, all of these police officers I talked to when it came out told me, look, I've worked roadblocks for 15 years. I could always determine I could always form a suspicion when the person was drinking and I've never had somebody who I'd like go through a roadblock, drive down the road, have an accident mm-hmm. uh, and then been investigated you know, for an impaired driving. So I don't think it was necessary. The government justified it partially as deterrence, right? Uh, and partially because the word got out there that all you had to do at the roadblock was deny drinking and not smell of alcohol. Um, and of course, you know, you've got young police officers who don't have the experience of those 25 year old you know, 25-year police officers who know what they're doing. So what what, um, safeguards do you imagine? Back back to your issue of creep. Um, You know, it it is a concern that there would be creep. You could draw it at at one weight of vehicle, and and two years from now they could decide to make it lighter weight vehicles. Uh, You know, I'm just looking at the most potentially destructive vehicles on the road. Uh, And circumstances where we see, you know, heavy trucks causing accidents that are unexplained. And I've been involved in those cases where police officers made unlawful demands because they couldn't form a reasonable suspicion. Um, And I've seen cases where, you know, they've made unlawful demands and then the person blew zero. Um, So as far as procedural safeguards are concerned, it would only apply in circumstances of a collision. It would have to be within a min- minimum period. And I think that's got to be, you know, uh, probably two to three hours within afterward, you know. Um, it, it would be a defense, obviously, if there was drinking afterward at the over 08 case, if we get to that, because this is just elevating to reasonable and probable grounds. You could, uh, it would be a circumstance where in BC, the government would not use it for an IRP because IRPs are not supposed to be issued in accident cases, as you and I, I know. Although that. they are, but they are. But you know that could be uh, one of the stipulations that the court puts on it when it's challenged, um, because there are concerns about it. Reliability of testing goes down with time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after the odds. it sounds this like really for the.
0: We're even dropping some of my submissions today.
1: <laughs> oh. Were you arguing that? No, I wasn't. Yeah. The, uh, uh, but the, um, you know, ultimately the issue is that it's used for a very limited purpose in a very limited circumstance. It's used in a circumstance where a police officer is attending an accident scene involving a heavy vehicle, uh, and it's it's you know for the purpose of encouraging responsibility. It's also for the purpose of addressing the fact that in these circumstances you couldn't make a mandatory demand. Um, thank goodness. Uh, and you could only make a suspicion demand, and your capacity to form a suspicion is going to be restricted in those points. And we're dealing with a particular threat, which is the heavy vehicles.
0: How do you purport to define collision? Because is think about the breadth of that, right? Like you uh, you bump you bump the curve, you scrape the center barrier barrier with the side of your truck. Um, those are not collisions that engage public safety risks. I bumped a curb yesterday. It, I was sober. I yeah. haven't had anything to drink all month.
1: Oh, I know. um and that is something obviously that would you know might need to be defined uh if you've had a collision with a vehicle or a pedestrian, I think for sure, um you know, if you've caused damage? significant damage, what's that?
0: Does there have to be property damage or injuries?
1: Well, most of the time, if you're driving a big truck and you hit something, there is property damage of some sort or another. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, that is something of course, that might have to be defined and might have to be defined by, by the courts if necessary. Um, but you know, we have, um, already hit and run provisions, right. Where you hit a car. Well, if you hit a car and there's no damage to the car, um, does that count? Uh, you know, if you bump the mud flap and it just bends the rubber and you continue on, is that a criminal hit and run? You know, I, I, I think that's something that these are, are hurdles that can be dealt with.
0: Well, I mean, so I, I know we've ahead. talked about it for years. I, I will admit, I am not fully on board, but I am never on board with anything that expands the powers the police have uh, to detain. Well, this it. is a rare.
1: This is a rare occasion where mothers against drunk traffic probably agree with me. So I've written to the justice minister to explain the what I think should happen, and we'll see whether or not I get a response. Because I've, I've had touch and go responses from. From federal justice ministers over the years, with my recommendations.
0: Oh, Paul, I'm sure you'll get at least a perfunctory letter that says thank you for your correspondence. It's been directed to the appropriate individuals. <laughs>
1: well, I could I could give it to like Elizabeth May or something like that. She could uh, try a private private members' bill. I bet that one would pass.
0: Sure, but again, why why expand the powers that police have? I don't know. I I uh,
1: so they can detect they can detect uh whether or not your school bus driver who had an accident is uh, over 80 milligrams
0: well i don't know i'm again i philosophically i I have a problem with it whether or not it'll pass constitutional scrutiny i think you're right i think that it would easily be upheld by the court for all of the reasons you explain but that doesn't mean i have to like it
1: Mm. well if we get to uh if we're invited to Ottawa for it, we can we can be on the opposite sides of it. Be
0: on the opposite side. I'll be like, this is out of overreach. This is a, a watering down of our constitutional safeguards. Now your profession subjects you to further jeopardy of police scrutiny and investigations. And then I'll get a bunch of statistics about how many truck drivers are not Caucasian and say that this is just going to be used to harass people uh, who are racialized and immigrants. Yeah.
1: This may be the only time that I ever succeed in an argument with you <laughs> and we would have me actually succeeding because I think I'd probably it'd be a pushover to persuade, um, to persuade the criminal law committee or the Senate to, uh, to make this the third, the third demand that's out there.
0: Yeah. Well, you get to be right once and wrong the rest of the time. How about that?
1: yeah well i've been I've been wrong for well over a decade now, so
0: okay all right, moving on, I thought we would go back to a, a much loved, much discussed topic that we have had in our uh in our time, and that is the city of Surrey. Oh my goodness, yeah, I know right. So the city of Surrey uh, and their police transition, one would have thought that once the minister made a final decision, that that was going to be it. You know, the law was laid down by the lawmaker. We're going to move to the Surrey police. We're too far down the road. Let's let's get the discussion over and the hiring and and training happening. But, Paul, that is not what's happening the mayor of Surrey today, in a number of interviews, announced that she is seeking judicial review of Mike Farnworth's decision to uh, continue the transition to the Surrey Police Service.
1: Yep. Um, so you know all about judicial reviews. He's yeah. probably conducted more than anybody in the province these days. Honestly, like he, probably, you're the one who's standing in court. The only person who's maybe done as many as the people at the AG's office.
0: I I highly doubt that. I'm sure, like, West Westmacod has done far more than me, but um, I think well, I've done a lot of them. And yeah. I will say that I think that this is an ill-fated um, exercise because in order to show that the decision was unreasonable, right? Like, reasonableness was originally defined in Dunsmere, which was revisited in Vavilov, but only to some extent. In Dunsmuir, the court said that a decision is not reasonable if it is not within a range of possible acceptable outcomes that are defensible in respect of the facts of the law. The decision ultimately about whether to transition or not transition in the police force rests with the minister. He has the ultimate power over this decision under the Police Act. So the decision on its face is defensible. The next thing you look at is the pathway, the chain of analysis that led to the conclusion. And interestingly, Vavilov, and I think we talked about this when Vavilov came out, Vavilov changed literally nothing in British Columbia because judicial review jurisprudence in BC that developed through challenges to immediate roadside prohibition review decisions essentially said what Vavilov ended up saying at the Supreme Court of Canada, which is that even if the ultimate decision might be capable of being supported by the record, if the decision was reached in a manner that was manifestly flawed, involved a manifestly flawed reasoning process, then the decision itself is unreasonable. And you'd think, well, that's easy. All you've got to do is identify a flaw in the reasoning and then bing, bang, boom, successful judicial review. But it ain't that simple. In order for...
1: Go Go ahead. For us, most of the time, good luck finding a flaw that's going to lead to it.
0: Yeah, right. well, Let's that's go. the thing. Because because the manifest flaw, it doesn't just have to be like something illogical about the decision-making. It has to go to the core of the conclusion reached. It has to be central to the decision that was reached. And uh, so it can't be tangential or minor or uh, not likely to have affected the outcome. Like if you take the error out, if the reasoning stands on its own, then it's sufficient. And I just don't see, like, I don't know, maybe the city of Surrey has something (laughs) that we don't know about, but I cannot see how Mike Farnworth said, you have your opportunity to present your case to us. We have the information about where the transition's at. You have your resourcing issues with the RCMP. We have our resourcing issues with the Surrey police. Here's how much money is going to go where. Now I'm going to make the decision based on all of these factors. I cannot see how, even if there were some flaws in the consideration process, they could manifestly have affected the outcome because it, it was really like a situation where he has so much discretion accorded to him that it's like challenging a credibility finding. Really,
1: I mean that's that's what you that's what you and I discussed last time. Um And I, I wonder, like, on what basis they would do that. I just imagine as a surrey taxpayer that I'd be paying now for some lawyers to get probably $1,200 an hour um to go in and conduct this judicial review, which, in my mind, is destined to fail for all the reasons that you pointed out.
0: Well, also, not just that, but, like, what about the likely event that the city of surrey is going to seek an injunction to prevent the transition which would make sense because if the judicial review takes a long time to get heard which you know it it will probably take at least a couple months then the injunction is going to be necessary because at some point the cow is going to be so far out of the barn is that the metaphor that you're not going to be able to get it back in, like it it's yeah. going to be late when the when all the RCMP. I,
1: I think it's all. I think the horse is out of the barn. But yeah, same Whatever. thing. Yeah, well, I, I you're I agree. You're right. I mean, I don't see how well, to get around that.
0: I've talked to RCMP officers in Surrey who were awaiting the minister's decision and then putting in for transfers already. They've already done their transfer paperwork. They're leaving because they don't think they're staying there anymore and they don't have a job anymore, and they're content to leave. Like.
1: And They don't necessarily they want to stay with the RCMP. That's where they built up their careers. Yeah, you know their
0: retirement (laughs) benefits and training and etc.
1: And there's plenty of plenty of work for the RCMP in other parts of the country, other parts of British Columbia. So even um, in other parts of BC, if you're an RCMP officer, you can just get end up moved to (laughs) Merritt, where you can afford to buy a house.
0: And on the one hand, you know you would think, okay, well then an injunction would be logical because you don't want you know, to get too far down the road only for the court to say, actually, this decision has to be revisited. The RCMP has to come back when they can't. Um, but also there's the question of balance of convenience that has to be assessed in an injunction decision where, you know, is it, is it within the balance of convenience when the RCMP is already losing members because of the transition that's in place? Um, when the RCMP is already incapable of fully policing the entire area, like how is there, like how is and, there?
1: And bona fide a case, bona fide a case too, right? Like yeah. your probability of success is assessed at the, at the, at the beginning when you're seeking that injunction like and the probability such... of success is, is not there.
0: It's just so much that has to go into this application that, no matter what, is going to do harm. Not only is it going to cost the taxpayers millions of dollars, both provincially and municipally, and the Surrey Surrey taxpayers get to pay twice because they get to pay their provincial taxes to government.
1: The, the, <laughs> they get to pay for both sides a it yeah. once again. They get, as we pointed pay twice. out before, they get, <laughs> they get to pay for the province to fight the city.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure Surrey taxpayers just love that. But then you have not just those millions of dollars, you have the irreparable harm that will occur regardless of whether or not there's an injunction. Like no matter what, if there's an injunction, there's gonna be harm. If there's not an injunction and the the transition is overturned or the decision to a transition is overturned and required to be reconsidered, then then there's irreparable harm in in the process as it's unfolded in the meantime. Like it just it's just a bad it's a it's a bad decision.
1: Well, uh, it, it seems ill-advised to me, um, but you know, you and I don't make the decisions for the city of Surrey. We <laughs> should.
0: Surrey <a> mayor.
1: <laughs> Maybe we should. But we don't. <laughs> with not
0: to pick fights with the province.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I.
0: Uh, oh, who am I kidding? Could I ever promise not to pick fights with the province of British Columbia?
1: Yeah, no, not a chance. Not
0: not, not any chance. Food.
1: Um, You know, the province of British Columbia, sometimes I really wonder what they're doing to, you know, this week I was looking for some statistics um, from the uh, provincial government and I was on the government's website and I stumbled upon something called their 2025 road safety vision, something along that line. And it was a report mm -hmm. and I couldn't figure out when it was published. Google made it look like it was about two weeks ago. Um, and there's no date on the report. There's no date of it being released. There's no, <laughs> there's no date on the page that linked to it. There was no dates anywhere on the thing at all. And, um, so I emailed Road Safety BC cause I'm like, where did this thing come from? You know, it's, it's not linked on any pages. It's nothing. And they released it in 2021. And if you read it, you see that it's like. Probably a half million dollars or $400,000 worth of report writing and meetings went into it and it says nothing. It was like 32 pages of nothing where they're only, well, sorry, I guess they don't just say nothing. You had some views on it. but
0: Yeah, I was going to say, what do they want? Road safety. How are they going to get it? Safe roads.
1: (laughs) Exactly. What's
0: the end goal? Zero deaths. How are they going to achieve that? Vision Zero.
1: Yeah, that was it. It was like gobbledygook, and and there's all these people who are listed as being involved in this thing. And if I was involved in it, I'd be humiliated. Like it's it's embarrassing that to have your name on it. It's it looks like most of the effort was spent looking for um looking for good stock images to use and images from BC to use and then a bunch of little graphics, and I mean, I can't believe this thing was published, and I couldn't find any press release for it even back from 2021. It's like they were humiliated to do it, yet they had to publish it after they had gone through this effort, but it was just meaningless, like absolutely meaningless. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it was upsetting to see, you know, this is your tax dollars at work, speaking of tax dollars. However, you can- the government
0: government going to spend your money one way or another.
1: Yep. Well, spend your money on on policing. Uh, you know, I, It seems to me that there's been a lot less enforcement which is one of the reasons that I'm seeing cell phone uh, use while driving has just exploded in the last six or eight months. Yep. Uh, however.
0: Well, uh, I know one way that you should not try and deal with this is a really like this is about as awkward a transition as the street police transition you should not tell yes. police who you were paying for with your tax dollars i don't know um no. that didn't go as smoothly as i had anticipated but
1: i, I see that yeah yeah it did.
0: what i'm what i'm trying to get to is the ridiculous driver of the week the week the week the week, the week. a surprising bestseller. The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination, the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. And this one, I, I freaking love. This is like if Miley Cyrus (laughs) decided to obstruct the police. Um, so
1: what happens so
0: this is in the Kootenays a woman was arrested in trail uh, for causing a disturbance and obstruction and intoxicated in public uh, on the basis of um, a report there was a report that she was yelling obscenities in a um, like a liquor establishment uh, refusing to leave and the RCMP show up they're able to get her out of the um out of the liquor establishment, but they can't get her to leave the area and she's just standing there yelling at the police. and the officer decides to go back to his police vehicle uh and the woman gets in his way and then starts twerking while swearing and yelling at him. um and oh warned her like if you you know, if you continue to block me from accessing my police vehicle, I'm going to arrest you for obstruction but she continued twerking and she twerked her way all to jail.
1: That is ridiculous. Uh, was she a driver at all?
0: Uh, well, the, the officer was a driver.
1: That's <laughs> okay. yeah. right. Yeah. Not really heavily connected to driving, but pretty good. Pretty good ridiculous driver of the week. One day we're going to have to go back through some of the ridiculous drivers of the week and see which was our favorite. Uh, I'd love to hear from uh, anybody who listens to the podcast. You can... Uh, Uh, message us on Twitter or something like that. If you have a favorite ridiculous driver of the week over the years, it is my favorite part of the show.
0: It's also my favorite part. And well, actually, it's my second favorite part. I like the McGracken moments, but they are not regular. So uh, it's my second favorite part, but my most frequent part.
1: There you go. Well, we never miss it because there is always one. And sometimes we have to debate between you know 15 anyway there we go
0: yes and if you have a driving law related issue you can find it online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of driving law